Welcome to Roughneck Dispatch, a podcast about storytelling, how we do it, why we do it, and who the hell does it best. We talk to the best storytellers about their greatest stories and why they have to tell them. I'm your host, crime writer and occasional journalist, Matt Phillips. Every episode, we start with a voice from the past. So, here we go, down the rabbit hole. Blast from the past to this episode, the late, great Hunter S. Thompson. A letter from his book, The Proud Highway, written to 14-year-old Dale. Right now, I'm a writer, not a motorcycle freak, so I can do a lot of things I couldn't get away with if all I knew how to do was ride bikes. As a matter of fact, I just bought a new bike shop with the money from my book. My rent gets paid with no hassle, and I have a lot of time to hunt, get drunk, and raise as much hell as I want. But I couldn't do any of this if all I did was boom around on a bike and get in arguments with cops. It's amazing how much you can get away with if you don't go out of your way to cause trouble, which the angels do for their own reasons. But their reasons don't make much sense for anybody who isn't stuck with them, and you aren't. So remember this letter when you think about going out to California to ride with the angels. And even that might be a kick if you could do it without getting caught in it. But the secret of not getting caught in it is to have something of your own, some kind of skill or talent or action that other people have to respect. That way, you can ride when you want and back off when you want. Believe me, it's a hell of a lot better way to go. Hunter S. Thompson wrote that letter in July of 1967, and it is an interesting look at the outlaw culture from his perspective. And uh, we're going to talk about a little bit of the outlaw culture today. So let's get started. On this episode of Roughneck Dispatch, we're joined by crime writer Curtis Ippolito. His debut novel, Bearing the Newspaper Man, was published in 2021, and his short fiction has appeared in Mystery Tribune, Yellow Mama, Shotgun Honey, and many other places, including the Trouble No More anthology, which features crime stories, stories paying homage to Southern Rock, uh, available on downandoutbooks.com. Curtis, thanks for swinging through. Oh, man. Thanks for having me, Matt. Yeah, I really appreciate it. We're both in San Diego, so uh, it might have been easy to meet up, but uh, we decided not to just to stay healthy, right? That's right, yeah. Very cool. hey, congrats on the new podcast. Hey, thanks. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I, I think the podcast is a, uh, it's, it's a need, you know, there's been a few over the years with different writers, but uh, the goal with this one is just to talk to people about their process um, and, and what they love about storytelling um, and why they do it. So I bearing the newspaper, man, we're going to talk about in a bit, but um, I want to get started um, uh, talking about uh, the piece I read in the intro about um uh, it's a letter from Hunter S. Thompson to to a fourteen year old boy. Um, I had you read it too. I was wondering what your thoughts were on the letter. Uh, anything that come to mind, and how familiar you are with uh, Hunter S. Thompson in the past? Man, I gotta say, he's a huge hole uh, for me. Like, I think I was just kind of in that tweener generation where I think the only thing that kind of hit my radar was Johnny Depp's, uh, you know, Fear and Loathing, and saw that as a teenager and didn't know what I was watching. Right. Uh, and so I didn't uh, delve into um, any of his writing, really. And so that is something that I'm intending to do. Uh, I do need to to dive into him. But as with these things, there's only so much, uh, so many books you can read in, in such a short time, right? 
Yeah, too, way too too many books to read. I mean, even just on the indie crime fiction scene. Yeah. Um. I mean, I've Incredible. got fr- yeah friends and people coming out with books. <laughs> Some people, it's like well, you wrote three books this year and you got them all published. <laughs> uh, <laughs> who's your agent again? Yeah, um, right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um. Well, yeah. In this letter, I mean, not to talk about it too much, but I, I was kind of the same. I think Hunter S. Thompson, um, that depiction of him by Johnny Depp in the in the film. Um, the Terry Gilliam film was where I was introduced. Then I, I kind of dug in a lot. Um, especially when I went to, I went to journalism school as an undergraduate, eventually as an adult, adult student. And, um, I got into Hunter S. Thompson because I love that new journalism stuff, um, mm-hmm. where kind of like more participant, participatory journalism. Um, right. but, uh, what, anyway, what I love about that letter is, and I don't know what you thought about this, but essentially this kid is super stoked about the hell's angels. Cause mm-hmm. Hunter S Thompson wrote this book on the hell's angels. And <laughs> what I love is like the kid thinks he's intoxicated by the hell's angels. He thinks he's into being an outlaw, a motorcycle gang guy, a criminal, a crook, whatever. Um, and Hunter S Tom- S Thompson is like, well, actually you're intoxicated by, by the writer by what I did with my skills and, and, and my storytelling abilities. So he kind of points the kid and says, Hey, man, I got the skill that no one else has or not a lot of people. And that's the, I use that to intoxicate you. That's why you're excited right now. So maybe think a little bit about that, do what you want with your life, but think about having some, I think he calls it a skill or action that <laughs> have some skill or yeah, action that nobody right. can else can can call you on so yeah i don't know did you get that from it or or something else come through for you no yeah that's exactly uh what i took from it and it was just a cool glimpse of uh you know i don't know that seems like a bygone age of when you would you could reach out to somebody and they would actually like take the time to mentor you and 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 in a sense that's what he's doing in that letter right like absolutely he's being that kid's mentor even though he's like hey i don't want to come off like the boring school counselor or anything right he says that yeah but uh here's here's what you should do i I thought that was pretty cool you know if you you know you dig what he says or you believe what he says or not it's cool that he took the time to kind of uh reposition that kid's thinking yeah, redirect him. And uh I mean that was all typed, you know. <laughs> the legend goes I don't if you do get into Hunter S. Thompson, I, I actually advise people to read The Proud Highway, which is letters he wrote from I think it's like fifty eight to sixty seven after he had finally had Hell's Angels published. And I mean it's an amazing book. It's like all these letters he's writing to people all across the country, like newspaper editors, magazine trying to get work as a journalist demanding money be paid to him after he like publishes the stories, which I have experience with from being a journalist, but he's just like, you know, bearing his soul. I'm poor, you know, I, I'm being evicted. I need the money. So um, it's a really great um, book for, for writers to read, I think, or any artists. Uh, yeah, check that out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, but anyway, uh, moving on, I, I think, um, you know, I want to talk about burying the newspaper man a little bit. Um, I mentioned before in, in our in our prep chat that I, I didn't want to give away too much because there's a lot in the novel that comes as a surprise. And so I don't want to cheat readers of that, but, um, you know, essentially the setup is, and correct me where I'm wrong, but by the way, I had the paperback. And so in prep for this podcast, I'm like digging through my library and I'm like, where is my paperback copy? I'm like asking my wife, where'd this book go? I don't know, you know, whatever. Um, (laughs) 
And so I couldn't find it. And so I'm like, well, I'm going to buy about another copy on Kindle to like reread some sections and some chapters. So you got another sale out of me. All but right, what happened right. to it was um, I loaned it to to my buddy who uh, likes crime fiction as well. And I was like, oh, oh nice. this one's a local guy or whatever. So that's where it's where it's at. Awesome. I, I finally remembered. But um, yeah, so um, the setup is essentially correct me where I'm wrong, but we have a patrol officer in San Diego, California, OB specifically. It's mm-hmm. got that OB uh, tinge to, to the novel, right. which I love. Um, and he finds uh, a body in a trunk and it's someone he knows. And that person has done uh, horrible acts to him in the past. Um, and so all of a sudden we're set off on this, like, like a moral dilemma, moral quandary. Is that kind of how you, how you quantify the book as a story? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, once I had that idea of, you know, uh, this character finding, you know, a dead body in the trunk of a car, my next thought was, well, what would cause that person to want to try to cover that up or help the killer essentially get away with murder? And so, you know, that's kind of led me down that trail of that, you know, moral dilemma, not only, you know, as a person, but as, you know, a police officer, you know, it's his, you know, he's basically going against his, his police oath, right? Um, and skirting right. the investigation and yeah. some things he shouldn't do along the way. Right. And I, so the book in a way, I mean, it's a noir novel, but it's, it's a, I mean, it's a, um, also a procedural to some extent, almost like a reverse procedural to me in a way, mm-hmm. because it's like, it's not about solving the crime necessarily. It is, but it's also about covering it up. So that's pretty cool. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I really liked it and wanted to talk to you. But I think there's another thing that for me hits a little bit home because I wrote a detective novel in about the same time frame. I think it came out after years. Um, but you know, I got some flack for writing about a police officer. And um and, and in my novel, it's very it's, it's sort of um tropey detective right but in your case i thought it was interesting how you're writing about a police officer and it's like this quandary between who he is as that person who's who has a duty and then who he becomes once this event happens um and i i wonder if that was really conscious for you like was sort of everything that's happening in society part of your thought process as a writer? You wrote it way before 2021, I'm assuming. Right, right. So I'm just wondering what your thought process was around that and and how interesting it was for you to get into that character in that way. Like it's it's not often the profession of a character is tied specifically to what they can and can't or do and don't do in, in a novel, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Um, well, a couple things. Uh, so the idea originated because I did a ride along uh, with an officer in OB. Oh, cool. Okay. And um, I had always wanted to do that. You know, I was a, a crime reporter uh, back in my earlier years and had always been offered to go on ride alongs. And I never did because I thought it was kind of a squishy, uh, ethical thing. Sure. And I just I always pass, but always wanted to. Um, so, uh, I knew a friend who, uh, was a retired police officer and he's like, yeah, here, here, go to this substation and and they'll hook you up. So did that. And, uh, I hadn't been writing, uh, for a few years at that point, but, uh, did that ride along and saw a lot of cool stuff, you know, cool in the sense of, you know, seeing how the procedural things and, you know, just being along on the beat, you know? 
And uh, I, I remember distinctly uh, one of the things, you know, uh, I took from the guy, the officer I was paired with is he loved running plates, try to find stolen cars, just loved it. <laughs> and the whole time we're driving, he's just like, let me run this plate. <laughs> yeah, just tapping, tapping on that computer, run uh, plates. And uh, we found one on Abbott Street, right on uh, main, you know, the main drag along the water in Ocean Beach. And uh, he's like, all right, stay here. You know, you can get out of the car, but you got to stay by the cruiser. I'm going to clear this scene. And he's just going, you know, just runs through the whole thing. You know, it's very, you can just tell it's like muscle memory, you know, just like he's, you know, processing the scene and, you know, he uh, makes sure there's nobody in the car. He pops the trunk. And like, as soon as he popped that trunk, I was like, oh my God, what if there was a body in there? Sure. And then, that, you know, just got me running. So it was always kind of my, my idea from the beginning that this would be a police officer who found this body in the trunk of a car. And it also kind of makes sense, made sense to me from the standpoint of like, who would have authority to be able to try to subvert an investigation like yeah, a normal right. show wouldn't be able to do that mm -hmm. you know you do have to have some level of power and knowledge to, and yeah, yeah. knowledge and to do that so yeah and and like you said i wrote this in 2019 so that was before uh this mo most recent uh social upheaval mm -hmm. and uh you know had i written it you know after george floyd i definitely probably would have thought things you know, little through a little more and right. um, really been sensitive. But I think I, for the most part, I I did a decent job. And, you know, once, you know, I knew he was going to be a police officer, I had that, you know, research, so to speak, of the ride along. And then I followed up with, you know, several different officers and, uh, sure. you know, did the research. Um, and where I thought, you know, you kind of mentioned uh, yours was a little uh, on the tropey side. I tried to do the opposite in this, and that's why I went with a beat cop instead of like your, yeah, your, definitely. your normal procedurals, a detective. Um, and so I tried to do everything just a little bit different just to kind of have those tropes there and play with them a little bit, but not be withholding to them. If that yeah. Makes sense. yeah, it does make sense. I mean, I think... It, uh... I mean, there's also a body of work around like the patrol novel, like the police patrol novel, which, which I think you see in like Joseph Wamba, Frank Zafiro writes those types of novels now mm -hmm. on the indie scene. I'm um, Colin Conway as well. There's, there are others. Um, yeah. And I, that, that's another part of it that I thought was really interesting. And yeah, it, even when I was writing my novel, it's like, I was consciously leaning into the tropes of the, the hard boiled story. So to me, it was that was part of it. But yeah, I think it's interesting too, to think about how things that happen in society, whatever they are, um, can influence a writer's work. And, and I don't know that it always should or always does, but it is interesting to think about. So, mm -hmm. um, you mentioned you were a crime reporter before on, on the beat and the crime beat. Um, so you, so you worked as a reporter. Is that kind of where you got your start as a writer or have you always been a writer? Or? Yeah, that is. So I went to journalism school too. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. And so, uh, at a college, I, uh, had a couple, you know, freelance gigs and then, uh, landed a full-time reporter job in Dallas, uh, where wow, I was okay. living at the time and worked for this small community newspaper group and uh, was there for about uh, almost three years. And as you do in most community newspapers, covered a lot of beats. I think I started off just the general beat. 
yeah, like city beat and then yeah. yeah and then uh i did schools i did police i did you know everything but uh yeah when the crime beat was for that newspaper group was not that exciting because it was yeah. all these little communities uh in the wealthier parts of dallas okay so it was yeah. like um, no i think the biggest crime i covered was like there was a rash of uh copper gutters getting stolen oh right yeah because they can so turn like, the copper in for cash yeah. yeah so i did a trend piece on that and the whole time a little I'm investigative thinking, piece I'm, yeah i'm doing a trend piece on that and like there you go guys i hope i don't get you caught like yeah these people don't need <laughs> copper fucking gutters <laughs> who has a copper gutter <laughs> i know it's just such opulence you know it's ridiculous uh, that should be stolen off your house yes, if, I, if I put up a copper gutter someone should steal it from me that's right <laughs> That's really funny. Um, yeah, I mean, my experience as a reporter was um, I did journalism school and I was the editor of the paper, but and then the school newspaper. And then I got a great feature writing internship at the Denver Post, which was awesome. I did like all this and they pay you and everything. And it, it was amazing. I got to report on all this really cool stuff and do features and meet people and interview. But man, I don't know about you, but I ran into this like, like I couldn't, I couldn't find a job like for real, like a well-paying job. And then I was doing reporting here in San Diego for some of the community newspapers and wrote some pieces and like, I still haven't been paid. Like that's been six years now. Oh man! I mean, oh, <laughs> I traveled down to Mexico to report on an artist down there, a guy named Jaime Carbo, who's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, on my own dime and stuff and, uh, never got paid for that magazine ah. piece. So it's, uh, that's a rut. I, I think though, I mean, if you're like me, I mean, I learned a lot about being a quote unquote professional writer as a journalist. Would you say that's true for oh, you? Oh yeah, well? for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I think I the, the deadlines. Opposite, uh, oh, oh go yeah. ahead. Sorry. Deadlines. Yeah. Huge. And like, you know, you know, got to pump out a story in one day and do it with minimal edits. That's why it's, you know, I'm very much uh, kind of edit as you go when I write, just like you would in the newsroom. Yeah. And so um, I know there's a lot a lot of fiction writers who ascribe to, you know, write that bad first draft and then make it good. And it's like, you don't have that luxury in the newsroom. You know, you got to make it good the first time out or your right. copy or your copy editor is going to be on you. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, that's one thing too. I also think what you describe with the research for the novel, like picking up the phone, talking mm-hmm. to people, go talk to for cops, sure. you know, go out and ride with cops. I mean, I think that's the thing I learned from journalism is just, you got to pick up the phone, man. Like a lot of people now, I think too, with their research, it's like, let me Google it. Let me look on Twitter. Let me, it's like, I mean, sure you can source people on Twitter, but like at some point you need to get them on the phone. Like you don't know they're a real right. person, dude. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So that, yeah. And then, you know, you know, and a step further, just going out and looking at yeah. what you're writing about, you know, I think, I went down to OB like three dozen times Mm -hmm. while Mm -hmm. I was writing that book just to make sure I was getting the feel right, you know, and getting the vibe right. And, you know, went during the same time of day as I was writing a scene about, you know, and I I think that all that's inherent in journalism. You know, you got to go out and see the world, see what you're looking at, what you're reporting on so that you're painting an accurate picture. So yeah, a lot yeah. of things drawn from journalism. Yeah, I think that authenticity comes through in the work if you do it and in, in bearing the newspaper man as well. I mean, you know, if I go downtown, I park as far away as I can from where I need to go so I can walk downtown. Like a lot of my novels are set in sort of the um, 
Barrio Logan, some, there's some settings in the Barrio Logan type area, um, Shelltown, places like that, City Heights, which is where I lived for a long time in that area. So um, I agree with you. Yeah, I think the value of journalism, it trains you to be a writer. No, no, no doubt about it, I think. Um, uh, let me ask about, so, so your process, I mean, it's similar to mine where it's like, I, I like to read my chapter I wrote before the day before mm-hmm. yep, and same. edit and then work, work from the, the you, you yep, do that same thing. Exact same. Yeah. That's so interesting. Do you have, do you set like a quota for yourself or what, or when you're working on a project, or are you kind of like a little more lenient? Like word count? Yeah. Uh, you know, if I can hit at least 500, I think that's a solid day, you know, okay. a- anything between 500 and a thousand words is, is excellent you know if i can hit a thousand words that's you know all the bells go off right (laughs) so yeah yeah. um and for me i write longhand oh wow okay uh, i write longhand and then after the session i'll go type it up and even while i'm typing it up i may be editing it as as i go along yeah um and then i'll do a read through edit anything there and then the next day uh like usually in the morning while I'm having my coffee or something, I'll reread the words I wrote the previous day and I may tinker with it there. And then I read it again right before I start another session. Wow. That's really interesting. Um, so when you write longhand, are you writing legit longhand or are you using like shorthand that you would do when you're a journalist? Oh, like I used to write in shorthand. Oh, as yeah, a yeah. I always sucked at that. I had a professor call me out on that once. He's like, you need to work on your shorthand. <laughs> Sorry, man. I'm just a student. Uh, <laughs> no, I do. I legit longhand. Yeah. Okay. Well, wow. uh, yeah. cursive and everything for the kids out there who don't know what cursive is. Wow. Cursive. That's <laughs> legit, dude. That is, that's crazy. So, but so let me just make sure you're keeping all the manuscripts because that's going to be yeah. like a, like an, an article, you know, uh, in 50 years. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I remember I remember working on cursive or you know just like I'm like going oh, really dude we're writing s's like 10 s's you know but um <laughs> I do think it I wonder I don't know but I wonder how much love for like language itself that instilled in me um even just the practice of writing letters right it's sort of like athletics right like mm-hmm. I remember playing basketball as a youth like you know I was more of a pure shooter type player and it's like just muscle memory like get up 250 shots every, every morning and 250 every practice at night. Like, I mean, that muscle memory, I think of doing cursive maybe, or writing longhand, there's gotta be something to that maybe. Yeah. I, I've had somebody ask me before why I write longhand. And for me, it's just that mind to hand connection. It's just like, it just flows out of me so much easier writing it than typing it. Yeah. Yeah. What about, you know, um, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, uh, you know, if I'm working on a short story, it could, it could be either, or, you know, I've had plenty of short stories where I've just started tinkering on the computer and then, you know, 2000 words later, it's, it's done. But yeah, generally for the novels, it's, it's, they've been longhand. Wow. That's very cool. Um, so you said novels, do you, do you have another one coming out soon or you're shopping around or what's, what's, um, up with that? Yeah, it's so, been since 2021. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I had a couple uh, false starts uh, since sure. uh, that book came out, but I did just finish in December um, a draft, and so now it's with some beta readers. Okay, uh, and uh, yeah, it's um, pretty excited about it. Pretty happy about it. It's uh, called Waves of Burden. 
Okay. And it's set in San Diego again. And so nice. um, it's about two adult foster brothers who witness a shooting at a liquor store and uh, they flee the scene. Uh, and the older nomadic brother takes off the next day and uh, leaving the young, his younger brother uh, in the lurch uh, when a violent criminal comes to collect the hundred thousand dollars in cash that uh, he says he says the brother stole from him. Okay, so it's okay. kind of like a uh, um, you know um, just a straight up crime story. There's no real mystery. It's just uh, mm-hmm. uh, the beach and van life and uh Uh, scuzzy uh criminals with uh liquor stores under their control so yeah uh sounds like life it sounds like it's realistic uh why i I did notice on your instagram uh all the van life pictures so (laughs) just part of your research i imagine which is not hard to find you know around here in san diego especially in ob or near the beach for sure yeah you know what's funny about that is uh i don't do you surf at all a little bit uh i'd like to surf more but like uh uh, I'm, I wouldn't call myself a surfer. Yeah, no, I'm the same way. It's like, I try, I try to surf a couple of times a week. Um, but <laughs> the surf break I go to, it's like, I drive past a number of the vans, like, but the really expensive ones, like the ones that are like 120 grand yeah. and like all lifted for, and I, and I, they're really rad. Right. But I'm like, literally I've been surfing this break for a year. I drive by like three, four, sometimes five times a week. And that van has been in the same spot. Like you were <laughs> You are very well off and you're not using that badass fan. Like, yeah. <laughs> but then some of the ones I saw you took pictures of, like, those are legit, like people living in them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But anyway, yeah, that's cool. Um, It's so interesting where, where you get inspiration from too. I also think that vibe, like OB is a great example. It's like, there's, there's just such a vibe. Like it's, it's easy to write about for that reason. For sure. Right? Yeah. 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 I think it just lends itself to crime fiction too. Cause you know, it's not La Jolla. It's not, sure. you know, Del Mar it's, it's OB it's grungy and grimy and full of hippies. Like it's great. Mm-hmm. Like that's, <laughs> that's the California beach town like that I prefer, you know, and uh, you know, as I've, you know, I'm a transplant. So, okay. You, you know, you have to, I've had to do a little research, but you no, know, it seems to be like the way the, coastline was all at one point yep. uh, in the 60s and 70s like OB. So it's kind of cool that it's kind of maintained that feel. Yeah, I assume it was. I mean, that's before my time, but like, it's sort of like uh, with coastlines, we see this a lot in LA, of course, where it's like, you know, the wealthy just buy up the coastline and try mm-hmm. to restrict access. And um, I, that's one of the reasons why I like the beach, out, at least in the South San Diego, it's, it's just... Um, it's like still everybody's beach, which is really yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, even like, well, OB for sure, but mission, like if you go in the summer, I mean, you see a really diverse group of people at the beach. It's not like it's all like babes and bikinis. Like, no, it's <laughs> like everybody like cooking out and stuff. So um, yeah, I love that. Yeah, I know. I've, I've taken a lot of uh, inspiration from sort of the inner city areas, but um, did you ever see the TV series, ter- series Terriers came yes. out? Like, yeah, yeah, that's an OB. Terriers. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And that's it got canceled and everybody was like, why is this yeah. canceled? <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't know. That's just something that happens, but, um, well, that's cool to hear about your process. That's like super unique, right? Longhand and cursive type it out. <laughs> Kindergarten or uh, second grade teachers everywhere are clapping. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, let me see. Uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about inspiration. Like 
I always feel like when I talk to writers or when I hear people speak, I like to hear what inspires them or where they got to, you know, who they, who they arrived at being a writer through, if that makes sense. Um, so like, what's your, like, what are some writers in your quote unquote personal canon? Does that make sense? Like what are some writers that built you as a writer and reader? Man, uh, I hope I don't, uh, sound, uh, too like vanilla, but, uh, it's kind of some of the ones you hear a lot, like Stephen King, uh, Dennis Lehane, um, I think who else uh, my reading in my youth was all over the place you know mm-hmm. it went from you know there's a period where all I was reading were hockey and basketball magazines and <laughs> only Stephen King novels and then you know in college all you know your standards so I'd right. say they, they make you read yeah yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> and there was a time there where it's like oh James Joyce and you know sure all these uh you know stuffy lit guys it's like oh i guess that's what being a writer is and yeah tried to do that and failed miserably because i'm not that intelligent so (laughs) or just doesn't you know maybe your writer brain doesn't lend itself to that right yeah which yeah i had the same thing where it's like I, i remember in my mfa program I was like trying to be like, write like all these literary things. And then I wrote, um, just a first chapter of a crime story and professor who's like a well-known poet was like, this is what you should write. Like you should write this. And it was like, it just gave me permission to say like, oh yeah, like this is literature too. Like this is storytelling for people who care about storytelling. Like they want to actually read and get into stories. So yeah, I hear you. Stephen King was one for me as well. Like, Mainly because you could pick up Stephen King back in the day. You could pick up Stephen King books at like a garage sale for like 10 cents. Do you remember that? It was like, dude, (laughs) yeah. yeah, Oh, I just bought like four. I bought the whole Dark Tower series for like, like 50 cents. (laughs) I mean, and I had those books forever. I probably still have them. In fact, I think I do up in the garage, but um, Dean Koontz was another one too. So Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm with you. Like, like those sort of popular novelists, but man, Stephen King's a weird one. Like, yeah. He's his books are still. I haven't read a lot of his recent stuff, but like his books are still authentic and unique. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like he's yeah. he managed to not become like a formulaic like guy yeah. who could have ghostwriters do it. Yeah, I think a lo- maybe a large part of that is just you can't pin him down on genre. Like, sure, you can say horror, but God, look how many books that are not horror. You know? Sure. Yeah. I mean, so he's he's definitely always, he's kind of like a, a prog rock musician, you know, he's just like putting something new out, some different flavor out, uh, every book, like it's just incredible. He's the, he's the pink Floyd of writing, which <laughs> maybe is true. Like how is dark side of the moon still like a, like a number one selling album? I mean, I know it's not, but like kind of, it is like, it's just yeah. like, and now everybody's wearing the t-shirts again and you're like, dude, that's like 50 years ago. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think, yeah, that's a, that's a good description. The prog rock. Yeah. But like puts on a great show too. I mean, so yeah, yeah I dig that. I mean, also I think it's good to read popular. It's funny. I was reading, um, oh, maybe I was watching a, uh, a YouTube interview with David Foster Wallace, who's like you know, the literary writer of all literariness the last you know few decades. And it's like, um, 
he, oh no, no, that's what it was. It was the syllabus for his intro to literature course where he was teaching as a professor. That's what it was. And all the books were popular novels, Stephen King, um, like, uh, uh, Peter Straub, like, you, you know, people. And it's like, because you can learn to write and read from these novels. Um, so yeah, that's really interesting. That's good. Yeah. And then, um, what about like, where else are you taking inspiration from, whether it's film or TV or music, any, any, um, big things you want to shout out that you wish other people would be into or could get more into? Oh man. Uh, no, I mean, just the usual places, you know, I, I, you know, love any crime movie or crime series. I think I'm not chattering any, uh, anything just, you know, watching same thing everyone else is watching but yeah uh you know i'd say uh i get a lot of inspiration just being outside and being sure. in nature uh love hiking you know san diego's great for hiking mm-hmm. so you know not only just like getting out and clearing your head and not having the sounds of traffic and noise to kind of clear my head but uh just like see colors and see forms and just mm. the landscape like i don't know for whatever reason it just inspires me so yeah. that's definitely a big part you know taking walks definitely think things through in yeah. that respect uh yeah i think uh you know um trying to think my music taste i'm trying not to get old and boring and listen to the same old stuff that i've listened to my whole life i need to no, no more dark that. side of the moon <laughs> no i'm just kidding <laughs> yeah yeah no, for sure um yeah and i also think there's something to that formative like when you're in your teenage years um like what do you what do you get super into like whether it's stephen king or because like i always go back to it's like van halen's a good example where just listen to that so much when i was a teenager like memorize all the songs and it's like i mean it's van halen like they're awesome and everything but someone now would be like oh, Van Halen, you know, whatever. And I'm just like Van Halen rocks. Like <laughs> still to this day, it's like, yeah. Van Halen. So I, it's probably the same way with writers for some of us. So um, cursive rocks, dude. Um, that's, that's so, uh, I cannot let you write long in on cursive. Well, is it on legal pads or what, what are you writing? On? Uh, it's like on a uh, steno pad. So steno like, pads. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like these guys. Yeah. That's really funny. I think Elmore Leonard wrote longhand. And then he later he had his assistants type it up, but let's, hopefully you'll be able to do it at some point. <laughs> but I don't know though, because that typing though, I think you're right. The transcription uh, yeah. from the writing to the typing is where you get a lot of editing done. I bet. Yep, for sure. Yeah, and I also think you talk about sh- shape and color and things like. Um, I think about like when you kind of like look at a poem or something, you look at the shape of the poem, you know what I mean? Like on mm-hmm. the page. And I actually do that with my writing of like my prose novels, like or short stories. I'm looking at each paragraph. What is the shape of that paragraph? Like, yeah. and I don't like it when it looks a certain way. And, and that changes the form of the actual story as well. Do you do the same thing? Yeah, man. So I have an interesting story. So this, with this book uh, that I just finished writing, that was totally me. And I blame Don Winslow because uh, I went to uh, see him uh, when he was in town at the library uh, for an event for uh, his new book. And he was talking about how he has to have the, you know, page look a certain way. And he was specifically zeroing in on widows, that one word at the end. I hate the widows. Yeah. yeah. And so I made a conscious effort in this book to 
winnow out the widows <laughs> winnow out the widows yeah, yeah. and uh i love the look like it's just like so much cleaner like to have that you know no matter if there's you know three sentences in the paragraph or eight just to have a block you know yeah. and i found that it also helped tighten my writing like that's interesting you gotta gotta finagle a sentence to get rid of that one uh loose word like you're gonna find a way find a better verb find a shorter way of saying it uh you know just really tighten up those sentences uh and i think it worked uh but yeah that was me i was just like i was like so focused on the way the page looked this time. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I've always been that way. And I didn't know why I think some of it comes from like some training in film I have. So like there's this idea of called like the persistence of vision, right? So film is, is put together by like multiple images put together running at a certain speed per second frames per second, but the, it doesn't take a picture of every single thing that happens. Right. So like the persistence of your vision connects each frame to itself. And I think that, um, there might be a similar type of concept in people's brains when they're reading, like, is there some persistence of vision, not only like scene to scene and image to image, but like in the, the symbols of that letters are, you know what I mean? And words are, and what they mm -hmm. represent signify and like how that happens in the brain on the page, which, which I think is why there's all this debate around, do you like, you know, do you like a paper book or do you care about if it's on Kindle? And it's like, <laughs> like, I, I know someone who reads on, on her, on her smartphone on the Kindle app. And, um, she's like, people always are like, you're on your phone so much. She's like, well, I've read like seven novels this week, you know? I mean, so, <laughs> which is great, but I think it's interesting. Cause I'm like, I don't know on the phone, like all that blue light, I can't do it. Yeah. Um, and the way it's, it structures the paragraphs is different, you know, but, but yep. yeah, that's really interesting. Of course, Don Winslow, I, I blame him for everything, including my own <laughs> non-success. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, another great writer. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. I, I saw, I did see that you're pretty active at the, in the literary scene, just around going, um, going to events and stuff. I think I saw on your Instagram, you're uh, Matt Coyle had an interview with, uh, what, who was the writer yesterday that you went to see the other day? Uh, Matt Witten. He's, Matt uh, okay, uh, yeah. I think he's LA based. Yeah. Okay. Met him yeah. at left coast and then he was at VoucherCon this last year too. Oh, very cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was a good event. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, VoucherCon is going to be in San Diego this year, so yeah. that'll be really fun. Uh, we'll all get fun. together. I'm sure there'll be some some uh, scummy writer trying to rent out, not rent out, but get for free in my spare room. Uh, <laughs> probably be Rob Pierce, uh, but I don't know. I'm gonna have to cut that out. But um, but anyway, um, cut that out of this edit. Uh, but yeah, that that sounds fun. And then Left Coast Crime, I, I assume maybe you're going there. That's a drive. Yeah, I'll be there. Uh, okay, cool. Tucson this year. Yeah. Yeah, out in Tucson. All right. I'll be there yeah. as well. So nice. Um, yeah, look forward. Uh hopefully some readers or other writers can connect with you at the conferences if they go. Um, and if not, um, I think uh, you know, the podcast will have uh your website, um, uh, link to the book. Um, it's bearing the newspaper man. Um, check it out acclaimed debut novel from crime writer Curtis Ippolito. Um, Curtis, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, I really appreciate it. And I also have mad respect for you writing in cursive longhand. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. It was really fun talk. Roughneck Dispatch is looking for sponsors, corporate, individual presses, publishers, or otherwise. Go ahead and get a touch if that's of interest to you. For now, we say... Adios, until next time.
This is the sound of Curtis Ippolito writing his next novel, Longhand, for your listening pleasure. Thank <laughs> you.